Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive in Fertility podcast. This is Kathy Quillett, your host, owner of Tennessee Reproductive Therapy and just fellow woman in the fight. Thank you for welcoming me back into this space. I say it every time, but I wish that I wasn't just, you know, riding along in your car with you as, you know, somebody that's just passive here, but I wish we were together sipping a glass of wine, cup of coffee that you were just sitting here with my guest and I today, and we're just having girl talk because let me just tell you something. You're going to love her because I do. She is a sister friend of mine here in the Nashville area. Um, reconnecting today after what feels like a lifetime of COVID. And we actually met, um, serving on a similar nonprofit task force, to provide care to women and their partners who were going through stillbirth and pregnancy loss and infertility. But the focus when we worked together was uh, going into the homes, the rooms, the spaces of those who are losing a pregnancy. Um, and so loved our work together, but COVID shut it down for a little bit. And so it's fun to be reintroduced to her today. So I want to introduce you to my friend, Courtney. Courtney, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. I'm very honored. Oh my gosh. I love it. I, you know, your, your name comes up for me so much as I watch the community online um, and sit with a lot of my clients of which you have not been to set the record straight. Um, But just knowing that you went back to school to contribute to the fight Um, that you have been a voice for seeing women. You have been a voice for reproductive health, reproductive rights um, in your own way through your own story and your own decision to stop trying to have a baby, which I'll let you share that story in a minute. Um, But I've, I've loved just watching you be a part of the voice for change for women. And thank you. uh, I was going to say in the reproductive rights, but just also just for women, just for yeah. all women, all kinds yeah. of them. Thank all you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm excited to have you here today. And I know, Courtney, from your story, from how you're living your life now, that there are going to be some people that say, I'm not there. I can't ever be there. And yeah. there are some people that are going to be in your place, in your position uh, due to life circumstances um, that mm-hmm. right now they might not be able to even be able to bargain with. But I also know some people who have already told to listen before we were recorded this, that they need to listen because your story and uh, how you fought through it and the choices that you've made and how you're living now is going to be empowering and enlightening for some people, illuminating, let's say, for people who um, might be faced with the decision that you chose. And that was I mean, I guess childlessness chose you rather than yeah. you choosing it right off the it bat. Certainly you, did. you don't, you to know, you hear extent, people yeah. say elect childlessness and maybe childlessness elected you. And so it's many a little of bit us. of both actually. Okay. And that's and we why can get I into that later. Yes, yes. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> Let's just say like, I'm going to turn my mic off here for a minute. Not really, but <laughs> I want you, Courtney, tell our listening friends, like who you are. Tell us as much as your fertility story as you uh, want. And I've told you, let's camp out a little bit and just where you are now and and how you're finding meaning in your story. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm an open book. um, So I am happy to talk about anything and everything. Okay. Um, 
but just kind of a little background i'm 40 years old um i am what i call childless not by choice Mm -hmm. um but we can get into the the choice conversation to you a little bit um Mm -hmm. i did the infertility journey for about eight years um so you know my husband and i kind of blindly kind of not blindly but um kind of had our fantasy of we're going to just, you know, have our baby and it's going to be wonderful. So we tried naturally for a little while, but we knew that we were probably going to have problems. Um, I got diagnosed with PCOS when I was 12. And by the time we started trying, I think I had had like five surgeries. Mm. Um, So I kind of knew it was not going to necessarily be smooth sailing, but we had hoped. Um, And so you know, at the end of it, we, at the end of everything, we had ended up doing six transfers of 10 embryos. Um, We did IVF from the start. Um, My tubes were totally blocked. And so Mm. the first thing we did was went in and take them out. Um, They told us that's what we needed to do in order to potentially have a successful IVF round. So we did, um, I did three retrievals, six transfers of 10 embryos. Um, I went to two different doctors. Um, I went to a local doctor and I went to a non-local doctor. Mm. The local doctor was very, um, you know, by the book, everything was just very straightforward. Mm -hmm. And this other doctor who I'm sure some of your listeners know of, Mm. um, I call him the doc Brown of fertility. It was very, if it's experimental, let's try it. Don't care. Throw it in. Let's see what happens. Um, and so, yes, so we did the two different, um, two different paths yeah. and, um, I never achieved pregnancy at all. Um, never my personal stories. I never had a loss. I just never, I never got a positive. Um, mm-hmm. and I tried embryos at all different stages and all different, you know, day threes day fives transfer fresh transfer frozen i mean we tried it all um and it just never happened um so yeah so that's kind of like a little basic background of it i'm trying to remember how many surgeries i had in the process too there was a couple in there um i feel like a lot My most recent surgery, which just, you know, on just a health, as I'm giving a health background, my most recent surgery, which was in December, um, I had my last remaining ovary removed. Mm. So I have had a hysterectomy. I've had both ovaries removed. um, And that one was number 10. So they kind of all blur in the middle there. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the last one was number 10. Um, so yeah, so it's it's been fun. Yeah, she says with a smirk on her face. <laughs> I got to learn. Of, I got to looking at it as a really good nap because, <laughs> like, what are you going to do at that point? So um, you know, probably the best sleep I'd gotten in years for an hour. You know, whatever. <laughs> I always have to clarify. Like, I'm not a drug addict, but like, I want some surgery so that they can put me to sleep for a long time wholeheartedly get that i I hear that (laughs) my stomach the surgical route looks like i went through a wood chipper like (laughs) i've i i now have a game with myself that i play with physicians when i go under uh just to see like 
how difficult I can make it for them because I have to right. add some spice in it for myself. I'm not just going to go <laughs> lay down and be like, hey, I'm ready to go out anyways. So you're when a I had my hysterectomy, they were, they were going to, you know, they kind of gave you that as they joke, the pre-flight cocktail of like giving you, you get a little relaxed. And I looked at the doctor and I was like, can I see the robot please? And then like all the like doctors like who didn't know me are looking at each other and my doctor was like, yeah, it's fine. Go for it. And they like let me go in uh, completely like without any meds. And like they showed me around the operating room and the I robot and the Da Vinci thing. And it was great. Um, I love it. But so anyway, so yes, flyer. Yeah. I am. I am a frequent flyer. And so, um, but that was all part of the process, right? I mean, yeah. with my history, you know, you're, you're given the bag you're given. And, yeah. you know, that was kind of part of my process, part of my eight years, and then some um, was these various surgeries. Yeah. Now, Courtney, thank you for sharing uh, your medical history. I mean, really, is what that is. When we were volunteering together, I know I remember a Panera lunch when mm-hmm. you were weighing some pretty significant things. Yeah. And I, you know, I tell my clients a lot that after a while you get to a crossroads and there's a couple of them, mm-hmm. but one of them is what do I have to do to, to know that I've tried everything that I need to try personally? So yeah. if you need to be pregnant, great, then try and be pregnant. If you need your own biology, great. If you just need to be a parent and like, don't have to carry the baby, then great. Yeah. Like pursue that. Um, but then there's another one that's like, how long do I do this? Mm-hmm. Whether it's yeah. primary infertility, secondary infertility, recurrent miscarriage, or just the, it's never, like you said, I've never seen a positive pregnancy test. Yeah. Talk to me about what that experience was like for you individually yeah. and you, mm-hmm. I mean, your husband's experience with it. I think there's three people that have to make that decision, right? You, your, your partner and your relationship together, because you have to rewrite yeah. this narrative for your life yeah. um, that you probably, because of your diagnosis at 12, thought of at 12, you might not have been thinking about who you were going to do it with, yeah. but like, <laughs> oh, this affects my fer- fertility. Who's thinking about their fertility at 12? Anyways, right. so talk to me about that, that crossroads that you and your husband were at and how you arrived at the decision to stop. So I can actually tell you the exact moment that I decided to stop fertility treatments. Okay. Um, my husband and, you know, my husband is super supportive. Um, I'm very grateful that we have always had a really open relationship about this stuff. Um, we've always been really, not an open relationship, but open about it in our relationship. Um, Good clarification. That. No judgment, just clarity. Um And it just became one of these things that like, he always was super supportive and super into it, but always kind of let me drive. Um, Mm. And so in these surgeries, I think I was on surgery like number eight. um, And I had already done all my fertility treatments and I had done some weird stuff, like weird stuff, Mm. doctor prescribed, but weird stuff. Mm. I had complete blinders on to what, is normal in medical treatments. Um, it was if if it gives me a chance, I am in. Don't mm. care. I don't. I'm not. I'll worry about the money later. I will worry about the effects later. I, whatever. And 
I had had surgery number eight. So on top of PCOS, I also had severe endometriosis and adenomyosis, massive scarring, all kinds of fun stuff. So I had gone into this surgery. Um, I had decided that regular ablation for endometriosis was unacceptable mm. and that I was going to find a specialist who did, um, Oh my God, now I'm blanking on the procedure. Oh, um, it's a, you know what I'm talking about though. Not a blank. Um, excision. 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 Thank you. And so I was like, I'm going to go to this excision specialist and, you know, we're done, quote unquote. Mm. But in my heart of all hearts, I was really hoping she was going to come out of there and be like, I found something. And it was going to be the answer to everything. So I had said we're done, but I was absolutely lying. Um, and so she came out and she gave me the adenomyosis, you know, as much of a diagnosis as you can visually looking. And she was like, you need a hysterectomy. And I came out of there and I went home and I apologize if this is disgusting, but I'm going to just lay it all out there. Um, so I started looking into these experimental surgeries that nobody in the world does. I started like literally Googling, like, what are crazy experimental surgeries that, you know, some doctor in some remote island is trying to figure out. Hmm. And I started looking at this surgery that is done by like two people in the entire world where they literally remove your uterus. They open it up and take out the entire inner layer, stitch you back up and hope that it heals and hope it's strong enough to carry a pregnancy. Essentially, quote unquote, removing the adenomyosis, which we all know is not a thing. But I sat there reading about this surgery and I had this literal like hitting a wall moment where I said, what am I doing? Mm. What am I doing? Like, when is enough enough? Like, I have put my body through so much. And now I'm sitting here talking about these completely like Frankenstein style surgeries that are probably not done on a wider scale for a reason. For um, a reason. Right. <laughs> you know? And I just had this like literal epiphany when I was just like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I want to talk to my a husband. quick time out yeah, and say sure. endome- endometriosis versus adenomyosis. Endometriosis, yes. because I don't think a lot of people, I had it also, and I mm-hmm. don't think a lot of people understand what adenomyosis is. So for people who okay. are like, hey, what is it? Endometriosis is when your uterine lining grows outside of your uterus on different parts of your body or at the outside of your uterus. Adenomyosis is when your uterine lining grows in the wall of your uterus just to specify. Yes. So somebody's not like, Oh, I have to go Google that mate. Cause you know, that search people do on Dr. Google, right? I hear a symptom <laughs> and I must have it. So adenomyosis is much more rare and hysterectomy is a lot of times. That's why I had my hysterectomy too. Yeah. Um, so that was just a quick definition. Now you yeah. and your husband, after this, you were saying, Um, so, you know, I went and I talked to my husband and I was like, I can't do this. Mm. I cannot do this anymore. 
Um, and like, I was doing so much experimental stuff that was like, we have no idea what this is going to do to my body in 20 years. Like, right. I was trying all these bizarro treatments and I was like, I, when is enough enough? And, right. you know, I always, I always joke. So I used to teach kids yoga and one of the things that I would do with kids when they came up to me and asked me things over and over and over was I would look at them and I would say, asked and answered. You have asked, I have answered. Like, done. I love that. How concise. And I started to realize I had not been applying that to myself. Oh. I had asked <laughs> and that question has been answered. Like, this, you know, and it's so hard to break the what if it's the next one cycle <gasps> oh. and you know there's that constant like what if it's the next one and I had so many factors that contributed to my infertility but frankly there was no really blaringly obvious specific one because different doctors have different opinions with whether adenomyosis is the problem or endometriosis is the problem or pcos or blood sugars or you know hormones or like i had so many giant issues that no one could like really pinpoint it so you know, I had so many things that were like, well, I don't know, your tests look fine. Or like, you know, it was just like constant. And I had had all the ERAs, I'd had all the, um, you know, the various like hormonal testing. And, the, and it was just like, everything was like, I don't know, I think you're fine. But there's a bunch of really big stuff. So maybe it's that. Yeah. And that was when I kind of had that moment of this has been asked and answered. Like the question is, can I find a way to get pregnant? And the answer is no. And you never want to think that there's a definite answer. But in my particular case, I had gotten to that point where I was like, okay, ask them answered. I mean, and and to your point, what you were saying is there's always going to be like, well, maybe next time. We've done all this and maybe I'm closer. Maybe we're tricking my body into working this last cycle because I did this and maybe my adenomyosis isn't that bad. And it's kind of like, you know how we've adapted Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's like stages of dying, stages of grief to like everything. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, maybe not accurately so because it doesn't always work, but that's what people are most familiar with. And so you were in that bargaining stage. Yes. Of like, if I do this, then... And how do you, because I know tons of people are here feeling like, so you look on social media, you look on these podcasts, it's this emphasis of, and I could get on a whole soapbox of why eat this diet plan, do this, then you'll, ugh, nobody can cure it. Oh my God, I did them all. Grapefruit juice. (laughs) Did them all. If I had to eat keto one more time, I was going to die. Right. Um. (laughs) So there's this level of desperation that keeps moving you forward. Yes. And you're willing to pay any a dollar amount. You're willing to do everything until you realize I've done it. I've asked. Yeah. I have my answers in a community of people on Instagram and wherever that's saying you can do it. There's infertility uh, support groups. Yes. There's all these places. And you and I were talking before we got on here, like you really found encouragement in a community. Yeah. And I don't know if it was like while you were trying to make your decision or 
what, but tell us like where you found your people and how you started to experience like okayness or peace ish as you're saying, because I got to a place too where I was like, "Mm -hmm, I hear everybody saying I'm done. I don't find peace yet. Like I need to be ready for me to say it's over. Um, How did you start working towards that? Were there people, were there Instagrammers? Was there anything? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if it's okay with you, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, You know, to, before you get to the narrative, you are indoctrinated in it will happen. This will happen for you. It's going to happen. And I always call that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing because Mm -hmm. it is, a very toxic statement shrouded in hope. And in the end, you know, you're hearing this, it will happen, it will happen. If you're positive, it'll happen. If, you know, I always joke with everybody, like put away the vision board, like put it away. Mm. You know, it works in a lot of great areas, but unfortunately you don't manifest biology. And, you know, positivity is wonderful and it's absolutely necessary in in infertility and in life but there comes a point but it's a coping skill it's not a medicinal intervention it is it is but then when you're in that phase everything's an intervention you know it's like Mm -hmm. when you're in that phase like yes yes exactly like it's not a medical intervention it is a mindset which is so great and yes mindset makes a difference in life but again biology is biology unfortunately um so anyway so we had you know we had decided we were done with fertility treatments we we looked really heavily into adoption and decided it wasn't for us um and i found this community called chasing creation and it was for people who were childless, not by choice. And I had never heard that statement. Mm. I had never heard childless, not by choice. And I was like, okay, actually I take that back. I got involved in that before we had decided not to adopt. Um, you know, they're open in that we understand some people are still trying to build a family. That is not what we talk about. We talk about living life as a childless, not by choice person wherever you are in your, you know, pursuit to parenthood stage, that's great. That's yours. Um, But we talk about childless, being childless, not by choice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to join this support group because currently I am childless, not by choice. Mm -hmm. And it might help me get through this state as, you know, at least keeping somewhat together. And I started seeing, and, and, the group that I had been in was entirely women. Um, and I started seeing all these women who were talking about other ways they found their purpose and their value and their meanings. Mm. And, um, you know, I see, and a lot of, and one thing to note that they're not all infertility patients. Um, they're people who had never found the person they wanted to parent with and have chosen childless, not by choice at that point. Um, there's people who had had, the loss of a child there were people that had had you know like there were people who had just come to an age where for whatever reason it was no longer their path and i started seeing all these people with different backgrounds with this very similar thread in life and 
I went through it. I did, you know, a couple of the support groups and I started to kind of make friends with these women. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of a stigma in some corners of the infertility world when you decide to stop pursuing fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like yourself, there's so supportive and you're so open and just really empowering about that decision, but not everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of this note of failure among mm. some of the corners of infertility, which obviously you work your behind off to try to fight that. Right. Um, and so I kind of had to fight with that a little bit. And so I started to, you know, meet these people and realize mm. that like, okay, there's some life on the other side of this. That's all I need to know. Yeah. And I always say that, you know, when I was in the fertility battle, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, 90% of my brain was baby, period. Yes. 90%. I think the other 10% allowed me to like shower and brush my teeth. And the rest of it was, how does every move get me closer to a baby? Yes. And I had this fear that that was never going to change. But that if I didn't have a baby, it would just turn into 90% sadness about not having a baby. And I had this like fear in mind that should I not have a baby, that 90% was still there. Mm -hmm. And I always joke that I'm happily living my worst nightmare because me five years ago would look at me now and go, I don't know how you get out of bed. And what I had envisioned of this life without a child was truly just like a punishment. Mm -hmm. I imagined that the rest of my life, should I fail in every aspect of parenthood, you know, pursuing parenthood was just going to be a life of misery. Mm. And that was it. That was what I had conceptualized. And that was what I knew to be true. And I started seeing these people who at least, you know, not only did they get out of bed, they went to work, they went to the movies, they found enjoyment in a TV show. I didn't really look further than that. It was more just like, okay, these people function. (laughs) And that was kind of the extent of it. And Um, then one day I had this moment where, you know, my mind was blown by the concept of this that is a very normal concept, but I had never considered it, is that people choose to be child-free just by choice. Mm. Some people are born and go through their life and go, I have no interest in having children. They are plenty happy about it. That is what they've decided. And I was like, well, these people are not just living in misery. What do they do? Mm-hmm. Like, how do they go through life? Mm-hmm. They seem pretty happy. Maybe I should look into what the other side does. And I kind of realized that I had been living my life for this fictional baby that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I realized that I could choose otherwise. And I didn't want to choose it. I was heartbroken in choosing it. But that I actually still had a choice to choose a life without a child. And it kind of gave me the power back, Mm -hmm. you know, like 
I had felt so helpless. I felt so destitute. Um, you had in been this handing war against con- my body. You had been handing control over to different yeah. theories and physicians and treatment protocols. Yeah. And yeah. now you're saying, I'm in control. And I'm going to choose the life I want. Mm. This isn't the life I, I chose initially. And there's still a lot of elements of this life that I'm not choosing. But I'm going to choose what I can. Because if I don't, I am going to lose my mind. It really became an act of survival at that point. Because I was so distraught. But then I realized that my entire beacon of hope was in this fictional baby. And, you know, I... I had to take that power back. I also realized that it was unfair of me to be placing the entire happiness of my adult life on this, you know, mystery baby. You know, it wasn't up to them to make me happy. (laughs) I I feel weird laughing when people can't see it. I know. I... I raised my hands in like a, a silent <laughs> say that louder for the people in the back. It is not the hypothetical baby, the imagined baby, the dreamed of baby. It is not their responsibility to make you happy. Other things. Yeah. We lose us. And what I yeah. hear you saying, Courtney, is I realized I was so important. You may have known that, but like I can be happy with me. Yeah. And it, I knew something had to give at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I had it so inspired right now. <laughs> I mean, like, and I hate to say this, but something had to break in order for me to build. Like I had to get to that rock bottom mm-hmm. of, I can't go on like this. And, you know, as romantic as it is to say, there is nothing, there is nothing that can get between me and my baby that is a lovely thought, but it is not reality. I mean, as much as nobody wants to think this, you know, money is a factor. Stress, stress on your relationship, stress on your body, stress on your job and your life is real. Yes. And as much as everybody wants to have these, this tunnel vision of, that is my baby. I am their mother and there is nothing I wouldn't do. And, you know, I often tell people who do have children, uh, typically by some type of birthing right. mechanism, um, <laughs> that, you know, a lot of people look at their children and say, God, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Yeah. But the fact is, is like, I am not in their shoes. Mm-hmm. They are not... They look at their existing child, but the fact is my child was never there. Mm, And as much as I have dreamed about them and envisioned and manifested and, you know, taken my friend's babies and snuggled them to the point that I said, I have to be fertile now. Mm. Like the fact is my baby was never there. Mm. And it sounds so sad and depressing, but now looking back at it, it's what needed that realization needed to happen. Yeah. How are you now? So now, you know, I, you know, I spent 
eight years saying, well, I'm not going to do this, this, and this, because if I get pregnant, then blah, blah, blah is going to happen. And I'm not going to be able to do this if I get pregnant here. And so I learned at some point that I start, I needed to start planning for the life I have, not the life I want, not the life I hope to have. It is what is happening right now. And if something changes, Mm -hmm. then I'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. If I need to change the plan, then fine, I'll change the plan. Mm-hmm. But I started to realize that I had lived that way for so long. I had actually gotten into grad school in like 2014 mm-hmm. and decided never to go. Because if I got pregnant, then that was going to derail everything and be a problem. And finally, I was like, screw it. Mm-hmm. I am going to go back to grad school. And here I am going back at 38, realizing that it's not too late for me to build a different kind of life. And I I think that's when I say too, like something had to break in order for that to happen. And I, I never wish that on anyone else. And I think that's the other thing too. It's like, I hope it works out for everybody. I hope that everything you've dreamed of happens for you. Yeah. But that isn't always the case and you have to create a new dream it has to happen so when I went back to school to kind of create a new life it sucked I was mad I was upset that I had to do it but you know what in the end I realized I have this whole new opportunity you know there are still plenty of times where I get really sad that we don't have children um still but I'm starting to find little points of happiness. Like when my cat wakes me up at five in the morning and I can just kind of nudge them out of the way and not have to think about it. Okay. That's kind of nice. Sometimes you have to. Exactly. And it's like, I'm not happy, happy that this is how it turned out, but I'm happy now. I'm happy in my life. Um, And I never, I never thought it was possible. And I think that's the point here is wherever you are in your infertility story, there are things that uh, I will only be happy if, and you said, Mm -hmm. I, I, I have to create my happy. And five years ago, I didn't know that I could do that, but now I'm finding my happy. I didn't even like, didn't know I could do that. I very adamantly thought that I could not Like I literally was like, this cannot happen. Um, But then when you're forced to, it's a little different. And one thing I want to kind of close with is that it is so important in this decision to realize that just because you have chosen to make this decision does not mean that other people wanted it more. They didn't keep going because they wanted it more. They didn't, you know, have the stronger desire. And I feel like that's a lot, the infertility world can kind of suggest that sometimes, Mm. um, that other people just wanted it more than you did. And that is not true. That is not true. You can want it from your very deepest soul and still make this decision. Because if it is a want for a child, the deep longing. And if it's just who wanted it more, you and I would have a football team between us. Hands down. Absolutely. 
And I think what's important to piggyback on that is making the decision to live childless, not by choice, does not mean that you would have been a bad mom, does not mean that there's some worldly, spiritual, religious uh, curse on your life. It does not mean that you are a failure. It does not mean that you are unlovable. It does not mean that you are broken. It means you are making the choice due to circumstances outside of your control to -hmm. take back your life and say, I'm going to be okay with what I have. And you are doing that. And I know there's a lot of family and cultural obligations that tend to creep into. And I promise you, they all work out. And if they don't, explore the relationship (laughs) hands down see ya well (laughs) my darling i i'm actually like not having to make the decision that you're talking about but i've been there but like 12 years ago Mm -hmm. that being said i'm inspired by you and i'm sure there are people listening that are saying like i not only need you to narrate my life but i need her superpower of strength and i have had the privilege of knowing you long enough to know that like you have fought hard to be where you are and I yeah. just honor it for you and I'm so happy for you and you. I think you're doing great work professionally also and thanks I know that um, your story is going to touch people through this and I thank, thank you, you for being here I think yeah absolutely this has been so wonderful to talk to you yes All right, friends, if you are listening to this and think, hey, where did she find those people? Uh, Chasing.creation is a great world, a great uh, resource community. That's what she was talking about. I'll uh, put it in the show notes because we need all the people in our corner. Courtney, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Thank you for having me. Yes. All right, everybody that is tuning in. Thank you for joining us. And I hope that you have a great week and I hope you go out and thrive. Have a great week. Bye y'all.